Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Welcome back to season two, episode two of Serial Nightmare, a Halloween series I'm doing for the month of October. Everything I release this month will either be Halloween related or just more on the spooky side, but of course, always true crime. Tonight we're talking about one of the saddest killings I've ever heard of. Yoshihiro Hattori was a teenage boy from Japan living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as part of a student exchange program. He was getting ready to enjoy his first ever American Halloween when he was shot by someone claiming to mistake him for an intruder. This is a huge tragedy that just didn't need to happen and it really demonstrates the stark contrast between the way Americans look at gun ownership versus those living in Japan. We're coming up on the 29th anniversary of when this murder happened, and unfortunately, not much has changed since then. Let's start with a little bit about who Yoshihiro Hattori was. He was born in Nagoya, Japan, which for reference is about four and a half hours away from Tokyo, to his mother Meiko and his father Masaishi. And I want to bring them up now because they play a really big part in this story. Yoshihiro, who also went by the name Yoshi, was the middle child. He had a sister and one brother, but he was known to be the most, we'll say, lively of the bunch. While attending high school in Japan, he loved to play on the rugby team. It was an absolute passion of his. His parents said he was crazy about rugby. But he also loved to fish in his spare time, and he was really interested in anything related to America. A lot of people here in Japan still are, especially the younger generations. They see things on TV, and they have a very idealistic vision of what it's like there. So, Yoshi applied to the American Field Service, AFS, student exchange program, not really thinking anything of it. Actually, even though he had applied to the program, he was still really nervous about the idea of moving to the U.S. for a year, which is understandable. I can't imagine leaving my family and going to a foreign country for a whole year at just 16 years old. In his entrance paper for the program, he wrote, Wherever I go, I wish I could make the country a second home country. I can make Japanese cooking like tempura cutlet for host families and introduce the living way of Japanese. Now that worry and anxiety, it went away the moment he learned that he had passed the admittance test for the program and he was selected to go. All of the fear was replaced with absolute excitement. 
It was the opportunity of a lifetime to receive this scholarship and to be able to learn and study in America for a year, to learn English and meet new people. I think when many people think of how they perceive the Japanese to be, they think quiet, reserved, and maybe introverted. However, Yoshi was quite extroverted and very outgoing. He was talkative and excitable. So when he moved to America for the year, he made quite the impression on everyone that he met, especially his host parents. In 1992, at 16 years old, he was off to Baton Rouge, enrolled in East Baton Rouge's first program for gifted students to live with the Haymaker family for the school year. The Haymakers consisted of father and husband, Dick Haymaker, who was a theoretical physicist, and wife and mother, Dr. Holly Haymaker, a physician, as well as their 16-year-old son, Webb Haymaker. When recounting their time with Yoshi, Holly said, Yoshi was very ebullient, a total extrovert. The kids at McKinley High School loved him because he was such a free spirit. Her husband Dick said he was a really, really extraordinary guy. He was life. He moved through space like a dancer. And Yoshi got along really well with their son, Webb. They would do everything together, including attend a blues festival, which would have been a new experience for Yoshi. It was a really good fit with Yoshi and the Haymakers. Now, while Yoshi was an avid rugby player while living in Japan, he decided to try something completely different and way out of his comfort zone while he was in America. He decided to take jazz dance classes. And not surprisingly, he excelled at jazz too. Yoshi was so committed to his jazz dance classes that Holly bought him a bicycle with lights and a helmet so that he could get to all of his classes easily. Yoshi had only been living in the U.S. with his homestay family for two months when he and Webb were invited to a Halloween party that was organized for all of the local Japanese exchange students. The party was set for October 17th, and Yoshi was really excited about it. This would be his very first Halloween in America, and he wanted to fully embrace it and enjoy it. Now, I'm about to enjoy my fourth Halloween here in Japan, and while it's definitely caught on since the 90s, I can't imagine Halloween celebrations were very prevalent back then. Even today, trick-or-treating isn't really a thing unless you live in an international community like I do, but they are big on dressing up in costumes and partying downtown Tokyo. Now, in Nagoya, where Yoshi was from, I doubt Halloween was very much celebrated in the 90s. Yoshi had recently started watching a lot of John Travolta movies, and he became a big fan of his stuff, so he decided for a costume he would go dressed to the party in Travolta's famous Saturday Night Fever white disco suit. He wore a white tuxedo, and he slicked his hair back. Now, his homestay brother Webb had recently injured himself in a swimming pool, and he was required to wear a neck brace, so he decided to just add a few bandages and go to the party dressed up as an accident victim. Now, in the early evening of October 17th, the pair set off for the party, all dressed up in their costumes. They had the address written down on a piece of paper. Of course, it's important to remember that this was all before cell phones and Google Maps. The Halloween party was to take place in a town called Central, located just outside of Baton Rouge. It was a quiet, working-class neighborhood, and admittedly, Webb wasn't super familiar with the area, so the pair got a little turned around and they had difficulty finding the home. They were driving around with Webb at the steering wheel, and they were looking for a home with the house number 10131, 
but they couldn't find it. Then they spotted a home with the house number 10311. It was all decked up in Halloween decorations and there were three cars that were parked in the driveway. So they thought this must be it. They parked the car, got out of the vehicle, walked up to the front door and rang the doorbell. They listened for any kind of noise inside the home as they waited for someone to answer the door. But they didn't hear anything inside and no one came to the door. So they figured they must have the wrong house. The two boys began walking back to their car when they heard someone open the side door that was leading to the carport. It was one of the homeowners, a woman named Bonnie Pierce. She had opened the door to peer out. Webb and Yoshi moved towards the side door to ask whether or not they were at the right home, but Bonnie quickly closed the door, and supposedly she panicked, apparently thinking that these two young men were there to harm her. So, after she closed the door, she called to her 30-year-old husband Rodney to grab his gun. I'm going to play some audio from an interview with Bonnie where she describes what exactly happened that night from her perspective and in her own words. And when I heard the doorbell ring, I got up, put my house coat on, and I went to answer the door. I turned on the porch light and I looked out through the blinds and then I opened the door and I saw a person. He was all bandaged up like he'd been in a car wreck. I didn't know uh, what kind of help they needed. Then all of a sudden, a second person come, came from around the corner real fast. And I'd say within a, a second or two, something just told me this isn't right. Instinctively, yes, you sir. felt fear. Because if someone's running towards you, then it must mean they mean harm. And I slammed the door and I locked it. And before I realized it, I'd holler for Rodney to get the gun. Your phrase, get the gun was unusual. Yes, sir. What were you thinking? Why get the gun? I wasn't even thinking. Um, I had problems with dealing with that because that's, that's just not something I say. Now, one of the first things that came to my mind when I heard her interview was if you thought that Webb had been injured in maybe a car crash or some sort of other accident, why was your first thought to call your husband to grab his gun and not to ask Webb if maybe he needed any help? It's hard for me to put myself in her shoes, and I'm not quite sure if that has more to do with me just being a different person than Bonnie or because I'm Canadian and guns just aren't a huge part of our culture. Either way, whatever Bonnie was thinking or feeling at the time caused her to call for her husband to grab his gun. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. 
It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough, especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. When Yoshi and Webb saw the woman close the door without saying a word to them, they figured, yep, this was in fact the wrong house, and they began walking back towards their car again. But overall, they were just really confused why they had just had the door slammed in their face. They just wanted to get to this party and find the house that they were looking for. Then the side door opened again, but this time it wasn't Bonnie. It was her husband, Rodney, and he was holding a 44 Magnum revolver pointed right at the boys. He yelled at them, freeze. Now, the term freeze doesn't exactly translate to what we know as stop in Japan, so it's likely that Yoshi just didn't understand what the man was demanding of him, or maybe he didn't process what was happening, because people don't just point guns at each other in Japan. Or it's possible that maybe he thought that the gun was actually just a Halloween prop, because again, guns aren't very common in Japan, so this is not something that he would have ever expected to happen. But either way, Yoshi ended up walking towards the house, saying, we're here for the party. Webb tried to yell at Yoshi to watch out and move away from the man, but it was too late. Rodney fired his gun at Yoshi, hitting him in the chest from only about five feet away. Then Rodney and Bonnie went back into their house, slamming their door behind them. Yoshi fell onto the pavement and Webb ran to help his friend. He remembers Yoshi was crying and moaning, but still awake. It was clear he was very badly hurt, bleeding profusely, so Webb ran to the neighbor's house and begged for them to call 911, which they did. Then the neighbor went with Webb to see if they too could try to help Yoshi by attempting to stop the bleeding. Now at this point, the neighbor had no idea that it was actually Rodney who had shot the 16-year-old, so he shouted towards the home for help, but Bonnie responded with a quick, go away. And again, this blows my mind. I'm thinking, maybe you were terrified in the moment, maybe. 
but the individual is now laying on the ground, bleeding out, and you can take a second to see that it's a 16-year-old boy in a Halloween costume. But instead, you're inside, hiding, telling everyone to go away. The whole situation is just really difficult to comprehend. It took the ambulance 40 minutes to arrive, and unfortunately by this time, it was much too late to save Yoshi. The bullet had pierced the upper and lower lobes of his lung, exiting through where the seventh rib is situated. He had lost far too much blood from being shot at close range, and he died shortly after the ambulance arrived. Meanwhile, across town, Dick and Holly Haymaker were leaving the movie theater when their pager went off. With the boys supposed to be attending the Halloween party, they thought it would be a good time to enjoy a date night out. When Holly called the number back, it was the police, notifying her that there had been an incident. The police said their son Webb was fine, but Yoshi wasn't. They were asked to come down to the police station immediately. Now when the haymakers arrived at the police station, they found Webb sitting alone in the hall. After speaking with the police, they were horrified to learn what had happened. It didn't make any sense. And now the haymakers, who were responsible for taking care of Yoshi while he was living in and learning about America, would have to tell his parents that he had been killed. When Yoshi's mother Mako learned that her son had been shot and killed, she went into his bedroom back in his home in Nagoya and she wept. Two days later, Yoshi's parents arrived from Japan to retrieve their son's body. They embraced the Haymaker family, not angry at them at all for Yoshi's death, just very concerned with their well-being after all of this trauma. Now, what about Rodney Pierce, the man who had shot and killed Yoshi? Well, he was questioned by police at the scene, but he was released because they found that he was well within his rights to shoot a trespasser on his property. In Louisiana, deadly force may be used without an obligation to retreat whenever a person is in imminent danger of being killed or facing great bodily harm and that deadly force is necessary to prevent the killing or serious injury. They have something called castle laws, which basically allows the use of force, deadly or otherwise, to protect your property or, you know, your castle. The castle law establishes that homicide is justifiable in particular circumstances, i.e. when committed in self-defense by one who reasonably believes, quote-unquote, he is in danger of great bodily harm or death, or to prevent a forcible felony, as well as to prevent trespassing on private property. Now, to me, I would think the keywords here are reasonably believes he is in danger, we're talking about two 16-year-old unarmed boys who went up to the front door and rang the doorbell, and they didn't even get a chance to communicate why they were there. Yoshi's family felt the same way, of course. They couldn't understand how someone could just shoot an innocent teenage boy without any sort of consequences. So they worked with the Japanese authorities who worked with the Louisiana governor to bring about manslaughter charges. But the trial was, in my opinion, outrageous. Yoshi's parents flew to America for the trial, and they had to sit there and listen to what was being said in court. It must have been very painful for them. Rodney Pierce claimed that on that night, Yoshi was acting in a menacing, aggressive fashion, like a stranger invading someone's home turf. 
He said that the 16-year-old had an extremely unusual manner of moving, noting that any reasonable person would find the teen scary. The lawyer for Rodney Pierce, a man by the name of Louis Unglesby, was literally quoted as saying the following during the trial. This is not an American or Oriental or any other known being casually walking up to the front door and saying, hello, we're looking for the party. That's not what happened. Yoshi had an extremely unusual way of moving. It's been described as aggressive. It's been described as kinetic. It's been described as antsy. By contrast, they portrayed Rodney as your average Joe, a hardworking, good mechanic and employee of the Winn-Dixie supermarket. And, of course, Rodney sat there and said he cried and cried when he learned that he had killed Yoshi. Now, it's really difficult for me to remain unbiased in this story. We're talking about a 16-year-old boy with very limited English who simply rang the doorbell and said, we're here for the party. I can't comprehend how a 30-year-old man with a loaded weapon would be so intimidated and fearful for his life so as to shoot him dead. But... Clearly, the courts did not agree with me, because after seven days, Rodney Pierce was acquitted. While all of this was going on in the States, news of Yoshi's murder and the trial were making major headlines in Japan. There was massive outrage, with many people thinking that the killing was racially motivated. Bonnie Pierce herself described how she thought that the white teenager, Webb, was simply hurt, and so she wasn't fearful for her life until she saw Yoshi, even noting that she couldn't tell if he was Asian or Hispanic. The general consensus in Japan was that the acquittal was to be expected because the whole American society is obsessed with guns, according to one news reporter at least. They showed video footage of the courtroom spectators cheering and clapping when the verdict was announced. There was shock and dismay how this man was described in such a positive light after killing a young man. In 2014, there were just six gun-related deaths in Japan, a country of 127 million people. In the same year, there were 33,599 gun-related deaths in the U.S., So it's pretty easy to see how this became a huge talking point, how people would compare and contrast the two countries' views on guns. One article ran in a Japanese magazine shortly after the trial was titled, Here's How to Avoid Being Killed in America, and it gave the following tips. Number one, form friendships with locals and learn their survival skills. Number two, go native in appearance. Males should grow facial hair as it will make them look more Hispanic in appearance. Number three, carry your money in two different places. So in case you're robbed, you'll still have a stash to get you home. Number four, under no circumstances should you put up resistance against an armed robber. Now, some of the article was sarcasm and some of it was very serious in intention. Japan is not perfect by any means. It has so many different problems of its own. But I think the outrage was just a way of people feeling helpless over the situation and just devastated at the loss of such a young bright man. With Japan standing behind them, Yoshi's parents couldn't let his death be in vain. They pushed hard for gun reform in the U.S. all the way from Japan, which is not an easy thing to do. The Hattori's circulated a petition calling for more strict rules and regulations on guns, and they collected 1.7 million signatures from people in Japan. 
The Haymakers helped out as well in the U.S., collecting 150,000 signatures in America. In November 1993, they submitted the petition to President Bill Clinton, who was the sitting president in the White House at the time. Yoshi's parents, as well as the Haymakers, worked together to really push the signing of the Brady Bill. The Brady Bill mandated background checks, as well as a five-day waiting period for the purchase of firearms in the U.S. And with their help, it was signed into law by President Clinton on November 30, 1993. Even though the Pierces were never criminally charged with Yoshi's death, they were sued in a civil trial and they were ordered to pay $650,000 to the Hattori's. Ultimately, though, the Hattori's received only $100,000 from the Pierce's insurance company. What's pretty incredible is that the Hattori's used the money to establish two charities in Yoshi's name, one which funds U.S. high school students to come to Japan to study, learn about the culture, and another that lobbies for stricter gun control. Today, both Yoshi's mother and father are still very much involved in gun control activism, even visiting the U.S. every so often to attend events and speak with other victims of gun violence. I want to end tonight's story with a quote from Yoshi's father, Masaichi, because I think it really encompasses the heartbreak that he still feels today over the loss of his adventurous and outgoing son. He said, Sometimes I feel like he's still in America. Someday he'll come back home, I say to myself. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. Or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and be kind. Bye.